A few months ago, uh, Bronwyn and Andrew texted us a little video clip of them and Georgie, our little granddaughter, at a wedding reception. And they said, for context, um, watch till the end. Okay. So it starts out with Andrew in his nice suit. It's a wedding reception, holding Georgie, facing towards him, bouncing her on his knee. And Georgie looks a little um, indifferent to the whole thing, unimpressed, maybe even a little bit sour about the whole thing. And then about 10, 15 seconds into it, no warning sign whatsoever. She just spits up all over his suit jacket. Absolutely no warning. Just bounce, bounce, bounce. Now, since it turned out she wasn't actually really sick and, you know, you can clean a suit, it's now absolutely hysterical to, to think about. Uh, but every now and then I see other clips like this on social media and they always come with this lead in like watch till the end or wait for it. The idea is always the same. However, the video starts out, something happens at the end of it that is totally unexpected based on how it looks at the beginning. And often, whatever is taking place at the beginning is either so boring or so uncomfortable to watch that most people would just turn it off pretty quickly. But that's the whole point is you have to wait through that part to get to the really good part at the end, whatever it is. I kept hearing that phrase in my head, wait for it, this whole week while I was studying uh, our scripture for today. In essence, Paul is writing to the Christians in Rome and therefore by extension to us, wait for it. In terms of how we look at our lives and our world, Paul writes that what we experience now in the present is almost nothing like what it will be like at the end, what will happen at the end. Based on what we see happening now, uh, many people are tempted to just give up caring. Our present life and our world are painful. And yet Paul calls us in this morning's text to hope not only for ourselves, but for all of creation to be resurrected. I deeply appreciate the fact that Paul is honest and accurate about uh, how life is for most human beings. In our opening verse, he writes, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. The tendency in sort of U.S. church triumphal, a triumphant uh, theology is to just skip right ahead to that, the glory that will be revealed and, and focus on that. But I think it's remarkable that Paul openly acknowledges that the present experience for Christians is suffering. He doesn't qualify it. 
He doesn't say, I consider that the present suffering that some of you are experiencing. He writes, I consider that our present suffering, our sufferings are not worth comparing. He's including himself. He's including all the people he's writing to and his summation of what is happening is suffering. uh, Solomon Andrea, a theologian from Madagascar, writes this. Paul knew from experience what it meant to share Christ's sufferings. Paul had endured persecution by religious leaders and the dangers and hardships of his missionary journeys. So when he introduces the topic of suffering with the words, I consider, he's not merely tossing off an opinion based on intuition or general knowledge. What he is about to say is the fruit of his reflection on his own experience and his understanding of the scriptures. In a significant way, Paul is echoing the understanding of our present world voiced by Jesus in our gospel passage. Jesus said, don't be worried when you hear about wars and the possibilities of wars. He said these things happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. It's the beginning of the birth pains. The message translates, um, this is routine history. Nation will fight nation and ruler fight ruler over and over and over. And we've seen that in history. Very importantly, though, both Jesus and Paul proclaim that all of the created world is included in this present suffering. Jesus alludes to it when he talks about earthquakes and famines as things that happen often. Paul is much more overt in the connections that he makes. In verses uh, 18 and following, I consider that our present sufferings uh, are not worth the glory to be revealed. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons to be revealed. For the creation, the whole of creation was subject to Subjected to frustration, literally the word vanities, the same as in Ecclesiastes. Um, Not of its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage, which is to decay, which is its current state, a bondage to decay. And the hope is that it will be released into freedom, uh, just as the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. So the whole creation suffers uh, the same frustration. In biblical understanding, um, human beings are a part of God's creation, and our fates are inextricably joined. As one commentator put it, creation is not inert, utterly unspiritual, alien to our life and its hopes. 
It is the natural ally of our souls. Paul says creation was subjected to vanity. The idea is that uh, that of looking for what one does not find, hence futility, frustration, disappointment, the vanity of vanities in Ecclesiastes, the complaint of utter resultlessness in life. Sin brought this doom on creation. That's something that Paul talked about her, earlier, how Adam, uh, in, the, the, in bringing sin into our lives, brought mortality, death, decay, destruction, and all of creation was affected by this. Paul's assessment of our present lives and our present planet is that we live in the midst of frustration and suffering. Now, if we had no other words from God to go on, we might be justified in just giving up and not caring. But we do have other words from God, plenty of other words from God, and they all encourage us to hold on until the end, to wait for it. Paul's way of saying it, uh, again, verse 18 I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Interesting, the word that he uses for revealed is the Greek word that we get apocalypse from. Again, this is what is going to be revealed. This is the apocalypse. But for Paul, it's not a frightening thing. It's glory that will be revealed and, and things restored. He says, similar in uh, 19, the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Creation waits for the apocalypse because it's actually a restoration and a regeneration, ultimately. Um, verse 21, the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into glorious freedom. And then in verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves who groan inwardly wait eagerly for our adoption as children of God, the redemption of our bodies, of our bodies. Notice that Paul tells us that even our physical bodies will be renewed. This is another reminder that we are just as much as a part of God's creation as birds and animals. We are of the same substance as the earth. <clears throat> An Orthodox priest uh, here in the States, Patrick Henry Rudin, writes, the final object of the Christian hope for Paul is not the soul's departure to be with God in heaven. It is rather the redemption of our body. It was in a human body, after all, that sin reigned in death. Mortality was the essence of Adam's legacy to us, the embodiment of his sin. Salvation, therefore, is not complete until the resurrection of our bodies. And I, maybe you heard that the first time through in our Hebrew First Testament reading, how earthy and embodied this vision of the uh, that new heavens and the new earth was that God gave to Isaiah. Notice how 
Um, we, it, uh, it does begin, I will create new heavens and a new earth. But then he said, uh, but be glad and rejoice in what I will create, for I will create Jerusalem, the current Jerusalem, to be a delight to its people. Um, later down, in, when it starts talking about, they will build houses and dwell in them and plant vineyards and eat their fruit. This is, this is the stuff of day-to-day life, but it's, it's fully redeemed life. It won't be for the purpose of serving others. It will be for the fulfillment of human beings and all of creation. This is what will be. It is not what we experience presently in this present life. Oh, goodness. Where did you go? In this present life, what we see is uh, very difficult and, and frustrating and painful even. So in the meantime, Paul tells us, wait for it. But this is a waiting with eagerness and anticipation. It's a waiting with hope. The creation itself does this in ways that it constantly regenerates and heals itself. Both Paul and Jesus liken this waiting to pregnancy. Paul wrote in verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And Jesus had said, all these things are the beginning of the birth pains. Now, I think as a guy, I need to acknowledge that neither Paul nor Jesus gave birth. So they're going by, you know, theory. But I think we know what they're after, that the pain of childbirth ultimately, hopefully, <laughs> is followed by the joy of birth and the, the, the new creation. Paul acknowledges that this waiting can be difficult because what is promised is so different from what we see now. This is a very important part for us about the idea of hope and what hope is. Hope, this is the hope in which we are saved, the redemption of our bodies and the creation, recreation of the earth. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? Who, uh, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. He uses both patience and eagerness, eager expectation to describe the type of waiting that we do. Uh, patience is, is this Greek word hupameno, which is a, this just intense clinging and hanging on. That's the patience that he's talking about. The eager expectation is literally the, the standing on the tips of your toes and, and craning your neck to, to see what's coming. It's like the uh, opening of a concert. When you're on general admission, you're on the floor, and you know all of a sudden the, 
the piped-in music goes quiet and it all goes black and you're trying to see and you all of a sudden you see shadows coming up on the stage and you know it's about to happen. Or again, Solomon Andrea, the uh, theologian from Madagascar, likens it to someone anticipating a trip. It was, or it is as if we already have our entry visa for the heavenly city and we have seen pictures of it as a foretaste of what our stay there will be like. But we are still waiting to cross the border and enter it. We got to go to Hawaii um, to visit somebody's, be with them in their, their place. They sent us a video of, of the place we were going uh, before we got there. And it was this kind of, oh my gosh, we get to go there? It's this sense of anticipation that... Paul is saying, this is how we wait. Probably the most uh, beautiful description, though, of this that I've ever heard comes from Frederick Buechner in his book, The Sacred Journey. Um, so one of my all-time favorite quotes about anything, anywhere, anytime. It was toward the end of the second and last year in Bermuda that I received what may have been the greatest of the gifts the island gave, without any clear idea what it was that I was receiving or that anybody had ever received the likes before. She was a girl going on 13, as I was, uh, with her mouth turned up at the corners. If we ever spoke to each other about anything of consequence, I have long since forgotten. I have forgotten the color of her eyes. I've forgotten the sound of her voice. But one day at dusk, we were sitting side by side on a crumbling wall watching the salt kettle fairies come and go when our bare knees happened to touch for a moment. And in that moment, I was filled with such a sweet panic and anguish of longing for I had no idea what, that I knew my life could never be complete until I found it. It was the upward-reaching and fathomlessly hungering, heartbreaking love for the beauty of the world at its most beautiful, and beyond that, for that beauty east of the sun and west of the moon, which is past the reach of all but our most desperate desiring. And it is, finally, the beauty of beauty itself, of being itself, and what lies at the heart of being. That's the, the longing, the desiring with which we wait for what we know will be, even in the midst of what we currently experience. We don't experience this fullness of beauty and being in the present moment, but we wait for it eagerly. Because Paul assures us that the whole of creation will be made new. Thanks be to God.